welcome to another full episode of Horror 4H. Full disclosure for this one, I actually had another movie planned. A horrible little indie B-movie that has as one of the main characters, Ian McShane, who a lot of people might know better as the manager of the Continental from the John Wick movies. Uh, and that one is still on the table and in my back pocket, so it's probably next. But I stumbled across this one late one night, and it made a, I made a decent chunk in before I realized that I, I had to do this one next. Social stuff up first. As usual, thank you so much to Brian, Josh, and Jackal for their continued support of Horror 4H. Because of the generous pledges on Patreon, the show currently pays for itself and its hosting on SoundCloud. Because of their hopefully unwavering support, you can currently listen to all full episodes of Horror 4H and Strange Occurrences and the other little odd episodes of mine at your convenience. Without their support, you would have at most three possible ep episodes to enjoy at any given time. And because of how SoundCloud does its hosting, they would be the three most recent ones and no others. And while some of the earliest episodes aren't exactly the best things I've ever done, I still think they're worth a listen, especially episode two, The Chilling. Did I just plug an old episode of my own podcast? Yes. Was that finger guns? Yes. That too? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop snapping because that's actually how I tell myself in editing I should. Anyways. So if you want to contribute to the show, you can head on over to Patreon and look up Horror4H and pledge whatever you're comfortable enough giving. I'm also looking into a more direct method of contribution, so if you're unable, unwilling, or just uncomfortable pledging any amount month to month and just want to donate something because you heard one episode and liked it and don't want to commit to anything long term, you can. As soon as that's set up, you can be sure I'll mention it. I would love to be able to do more of these and put out at least one Strange Occurrences and one full episode of Horror 4H a month, but currently that's just not feasible. But hopefully, with enough support, I can manage it. I'm also working on a new novel. Believe it or not, I actually do write horror. My current work in progress, Home Again, is about a man returning to his childhood home after some untimely deaths in the family and working through childhood trauma. I know, that doesn't quite sound like horror in and of itself, but fear not, or actually fear a lot, you know what I mean. There are plenty of psychological terrors in store for our protagonists. Steering through your own head can be one of the most frightening things there is. Plus, there's likely some supernatural things happening as well. If you're a fan of psychological horror, surrealist horror, and just some generally creepy vibes, you'll love it. And if you're neurodivergent, like yours truly, whatever flavor of spicy mind you've got, you'll relate to it and be able to more accurately feel the terror and the tension that hopefully I've managed to spread throughout it. Okay, that's enough of that. Back to the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy bad horror through someone else's eyes. Evil Spawn, 1987. I'd never heard of this gem before. My usual methodology of finding a ghastly, gruesome, and god-awful film for you is to literally type in bad horror movies into a specific website search engine, filter by playlist, and then start going to town based on how bad the thumbnails are. More often than not, this results in me finding crap so bad I wouldn't subject you to it. This is one of those times when instead of a turd, I have found, that's right, a polished turd. Full disclaimer, I made it 30 or so minutes into it before I realized I had to restart it with the word file open and let loose with a torrent of, dare I say, perfect riffs. No, I dare not say perfect, because they aren't. But damn it, they're funny. To me. So there. How bad is this film? Well, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. Add to that the fact that this movie is one of the very last films that the late, great John Carradine starred in. In fact, it was the last one he was in that was released while he was still alive. As the last two films he was in, Buried Alive, and stock footage of him used in Jack-O, were both released after his death. A movie with a great British actor who eventually fell into doing a slew of B-movies near the end of his career in life? You know it's gonna be absolute gold. I mean, remember what a treasure trove Shockma was, right? See? Plugging myself again. While I can't promise shock my levels of entertainment on this one, I can promise I'll milk every ounce of atrociousness I can. That's the 4 Horror H promise, I guess, as of now. We start off with some text, because who doesn't love having to read their movie? I'll try to put the correct amount of mustard on this, but I'm not a big fan of mustard. I'm more of a ketchup guy, so we'll see how it goes. The Venus Probe, Odyssey, returns to Earth. It brings back alien microbes for study by independent laboratories. The use and misuse, bonus points for good ellipses placement there, I love that, of these microbes is the subject of this film. Dun dun. Get, get it? Because it's like, 
sort of like Law and Order. I'm hilarious. Anyway, that's a solid start to a horror flick. Right away, we've got the entire premise, and the music starts with some heavy theremin-esque shrillness. Kind of like if the composer of the music for the opening of Star Trek, The Next Generation, was drunk and high and angry at themselves and wanted to punish them and everyone else. You get the picture, I think. We start with a very zoomed-out Earth, and very clearly not a model of a spaceship being floated by on definitely not strings. With a shot of the side of the craft, it's the Odyssey! <gasps> Gasp! That's the spaceship the microbes were on! And then a flash of very comic-style font in bright green that reads, Evil Spawn, which reminds me of a cross between Venom and Spawn-style font, so... Points again, movie! Keep this up and you may actually be good. Don't worry, kids, I promise it's not. The music continues with a few poignant spikes and then actual theremin tossed in for good measure that makes you feel right at home in the 1950s bad movie era. If there isn't a giant bug by the end of this, I'm going to be mildly disappointed, honestly. Creature design and construction by Ralph Miller III. I had to Google such a spiffy name. And to my surprise and delight, this guy has actually done some good shit. He worked on the special effects for Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is a classic horror film, Dolls, which I definitely enjoyed, Critters 2, Gremlins, which is fantastic, The Game Clay Fighter, throwback, and is credited for quote-unquote River Rat in Ghostbusters 2, which I can only assume means he helped with the River of Slime effects, so depending on this budget, we could be in for a fun time with whatever this creature is. Okay, enough with the facts. Back to the... Oh, we're still in the credits. Okay, with the theremin playing. Yeah, don't worry. I'm sure eventually there'll be a movie, unless I imagined the first 30 minutes or so, which would be worth doing a full episode on, or at least a Strange Occurrences. The Strange Occurrences of the made-up movie. Ooh, spooky. I guess if I did that, it'd just be on the movie. You can't see that I just did air quotes, but I just did air quotes. Shazam! And boom, opening scene after the credits is a close-up of the underside of a spider crawling on some glass. Clearly, the Venus microbes have developed into some sort of space spider. Oh, no, that's uh, that's just the pad of some guy watching a computer screen. But, like, an early 1980s computer screen, so it's, like, DOS, only far worse. I'm trying to figure out how to describe it to anyone who's born after 2000, because the odds that you've seen what I mean is pretty low, but imagine the shittiest kind of computer screen ever, and then realize you've overestimated how good it looks. But while this guy is very intently looking at what can only be described as a file selection screen, a woman sneaks in behind him to open a bathroom stall door from the side. Oh, sorry, that's supposed to be some kind of containment unit to reveal the creature! Oh, Ralphie. Ralph, because of your credits, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here and say they fucked you coming and going on the budget for this thing. I can bet cold hard cash that I don't have that you designed a very scary creature. Looking at this thing, I swear I can see what you were going for, and it would be genuinely uncomfortable to look at. I mean, this thing is also very uncomfortable to look at, but not because it's scary. It looks like a recently, but not freshly, laid turd with polished red hots glued onto it, stuck into Easter grass painted brown. And that's being generous. I'm going to call the guy technician dude because I think that's what we're supposed to believe. But even if this wasn't a NASA lab and it was an independent lab, they'd at least be wearing white coats. Like, that's how low the budget for this had to be. They couldn't even afford a white lab coat to show this guy is a scientist of some kind. He's wearing a dark blue blazer with a low V-neck red shirt. But, like, the V isn't on purpose. You know how when you wear a shirt and the neck hole gets stretched out a bit and, and, and then if you grab it and pull on it, it'll stretch even more? Yeah, that. Picture that and you're there. So technician dude hears a noise and turns around to see that the creature that was in a door that had a single bolt lock at the top, the kind used in public restroom stalls, and no other form of security has escaped, which even if it wasn't for the lady who showed up was bound to happen eventually. I mean, I expect a hamster to eventually figure out that thing and manage to escape, let alone a pile of shit from Venus. He seems very alarmed that the creature has escaped and is looking around nervously and inspects the bathroom stall, uh, containment center. And, uh, yep, it's gone. Good job, tech guy. Now, if you were locked in a room with a Venusian shit pile that had gained the ability to move, you'd probably freak out a bit, right? Sure, natural human reaction. And upon finding the only exit locked, you'd what? Perhaps, I don't know, bang on the door and scream for help loudly so as to be sure that someone would come along to help you. Of course, because you're a rational human being with a sense of self-preservation. But you're also not this guy who whispers the words, Help! Let me out! 
as if his lungs were filled with air escaping a balloon while he literally paws at the door. I have pet cats harder than this man, who seems to be above average height and above average weight, is hitting this door. Which, now that I can see from the other side, with the woman who let the shit pile out, is just casually leaning against it. Like, if you were leaning against the door smoking a cigarette and regretting every life choice you'd made that had put you at that spot, you'd be doing more than she would be doing to hold it closed. And the door itself, well, you know those doors that go from the main dining area of a restaurant into the kitchen? They, they swing open and close? Yeah, those. This door is less sturdily built than those doors, and with bigger windows. They look like a combo of those doors and the subway doors on subway trains if they'd been pulled off the tracks, thrown around by the Incredible Hulk, and then landed near Pripyat. And that's the town that got abandoned near Chernobyl. Learning you some history. Shortly before the meltdown. In other words, a non-determined toddler can open them, and this full-grown man, God bless him, can't even begin to act like he can't open them without looking like the biggest idiot in the world. I don't believe anyone who couldn't open these doors could have operated a computer. Okay, I think that's enough time spent on the doors, which is great because he spent less time than that trying to open them before turning around just in time to see the creature leap onto his chest and take him down to the ground. Aw, from this side, it's kind of cute. It's fuzzier than I thought it'd be, like if they rolled a turd around on a dirty carpet first. And the mandibles it has are now visible, and they're ripping his neck open. I mean, like, they're not, they're not even moving except for him moving the thing, but now there's red temper paint on his face, so clearly it's ripped his neck open. I won't even mention the fact that I can either see the tech guy's hand going into the back of the creature or a puppeteer's hand up from the side, except for the part right now where I just mentioned not mentioning it. The close-ups are extra fun because I'm taken back to my youth when I had a box full of plastic bugs, because why not? Some were very realistic, and one was not realistic at all. It was a big fake spider that even someone who was afraid of spiders wouldn't be afraid of. That's what this thing looks like on close-ups. Splice in shots of the woman laughing, and we have a complete scene of, I, I guess, murder? Wait, not quite murder, as the tech guy covered from the neck up in hot sauce, I mean blood, rises to his feet, clutching at a wound that we could clearly see wasn't there before he started moving his hand, and now he's leaking a ton of spit. That might be real spit, though, so props to him for that, while screaming at the camera, and smash cut to an alleyway, I think, with a jeep coming down it. Yes, they had shitty jeeps back in the 80s, too. And it's a couple looking for their pet. The acting is quite strained and stilted, so it's perfect. They've been looking for over an hour already, and the man is very upset about it all. Not like, oh no, my pet is missing upset, but like, this is fucking boring and I want to go home upset. He muses about how charming it is and wonders what rent would be like here. Buddy, from 2023, trust me, whatever the rent on that area is, it's more than worth it, and everyone listening to this would literally murder someone for whatever that rent is. Oh, the pet got out because she wanted tacos. Come on, women. Your constant craving for tacos is just the biggest reasons pets go missing. Clearly, he got out when they opened the door for no re- No, never mind. They weren't gone for long and somehow it got out. Okay, right. I'm caring again. <laughs> I gotta remember not to do that. Will I ever learn? Uh. They hear a noise. Will it be their pet or the zombie technician man? Or the poop from the stars? It's, it's the cat. They collect their little mischief maker while the guy complains about how much attention she gives the cat over him and then threatens the cat's life. What a swell guy! She says she'll make it up to him for giving up his evening looking for the cat because, quote, not just any guy would have done that, end quote. I mean, any guy with a single ounce of empathy would. Ladies, if he's not going to help you look for your lost pet, dump him. And so, of course, making it up to him means sex, because doing the bare minimum means back-alley sex in public. And here comes Tech Guy, shambling up behind the Jeep. She's rightly concerned for another human being who is clearly acting sick and in pain, and he begrudgingly says that he has to move the guy out of the way or use him as a speed bump. That's right. The only reason to try to help someone is because they're in your way. Otherwise, fuck them. I just hope he doesn't puke on me. Well, good news. I don't think he's going to puke on you. If I know my horror movies, he's going to eat your face off, which, frankly, I'm kind of hoping for. Let's watch. He approaches Tech Guy, now on the ground, with care and dignity and offers his hand to help him up. And <laughs> Just kidding. He insults him, calls him a wino, threatens violence, and gives a full second or two of seeing the guy's face, which is bloodied and has big white pustules on it, continues to threaten him, Till Tech Guy grabs him, throws him into the nearby brick wall, because every good horror alley has a brick wall. 
they struggle, and Tech Guy has the advantage being slightly taller and bulkier. So odds are, he'll end up ripping the man's arm off! Yup, that just happened. No face nomming, no beating, nope, just straight to the arm ripping. Wow. Which means Tech Guy is about as strong as your average full-grown chimpanzee or gorilla. Which begs the question, why did the two struggle at all? Tech Guy should have just fucking broke the dude right off the bat. Unless he's trying to be a little bit sporting, I guess. I don't know. She's screaming in some actually convincing acting. I'd like to imagine they didn't tell her that was going to happen, and she doesn't understand movie makeup and special effects, so she actually thought her fellow actor just got his arm ripped off. She goes to start the Jeep, and fortunately for her, the keys are in the ignition, which means she'll start it right away and just get the fuck out of there. Just kidding again, she can't turn the key correctly for a painfully long time while Tech Guy, holding the arm, shambles towards her and 100% should have reached her before she manages to drive forward into some boxes, because alleyways have random boxes, and then throws it in reverse and actually slams him into the brick wall, apparently killing Tech Guy. Go random lady, nice work. I mean, your boyfriend is dead, but he was a dickhead anyway, and you lived, and so did the cat. So, yeah, and cut to that lady from earlier, smoking a cigarette and looking on. Clearly not seen, even though she's, like, standing in full view, watching this in a well-lit area. She doesn't, she doesn't even leave on camera. She just stands there, lights the cigarette, takes a few long puffs to get some heavy smoke effect against the dark background, ooh, artsy, and yeah, just like a good 10 to 20 seconds of that while we hear the other woman crying at witnessing and then participating in a murder. Like, there's crickets chirping, though, which is appropriate. And that cuts to John Carradine at a table with one of those plastic tablecloths. You can tell he's supposed to be fancy and sophisticated because of his attire and the cheap flowers and books on the table, but the tablecloth is, is in the cheap lamp in the background kind of belie the budget, which honestly was probably mostly used to get John Carradine. I, I actually had to double-check. I don't know what John Carradine got paid, but it was not much. The budget for this movie was around 30,000. Not 300,000. 30,000. Three zero and then three zeros. Which just it goes to show you how bad inflation is today, kids. For a year and a half salary, you could make a movie with well-respected actor in the late 80s. Money just doesn't go as far as it used to. Back to Carradine, and the lady shows up. Her name is e Evie? That's what he called her, and according to him, she must do exactly as instructed. What are those instructions? Who knows? Also, they didn't worry about him now, and his actions have led to suspicions being laid upon them. Who's him? Not a fucking clue. He says he's going to die soon, and his work must go on, and she must carry out his plan. She knows what to do because of his notes. He's been preparing for this moment for five years, and she must maintain control of it. And control is very important to him. And she must really be the one in control. Like, for real, guys, she's gotta be in control. Control. She says not to worry, and she's going to like this. And he says the future and his work are in her hands before just promptly dying. Like, literally, the future and my work are in your hands and dead. Now, I gotta say, Carradine is doing his best here. Especially for what little they had to give him and considering he'd die in real life within a few years of this. He did a damn good job. Her, though? Have you ever seen someone, like, really try hard to pretend to be evil? Like, they've got a whole voice and everything, and they draw out some words way too much in an effort to be subtle, when in reality they're about as subtle as an air horn. And they've got a whole, I'm going to look just next to the camera and maintain a veil of evil about myself. Right? You know that? Well, she makes that kind of acting look like fucking Shakespeare. And that's it. He was in this movie for all of two minutes. That, that was John Carradine's part and she smirks and gives a mild evil laugh after he dies saying the future has just been cancelled which honestly sounds like a tagline for a really bad movie about current political views see i'm topical and her comment is paired with both building organ music and crickets again maybe her villain power is she controls crickets and also sets venus poop piles free we then cut to a guy who looks more like a stereotypical bad middle-aged writer than i do which is saying something. I'm definitely rocking better facial hair than them, though. But he's smoking, so he wins, I think, because that's cool. And he's in front of a typewriter narrating to us? We haven't had a narrator at all yet, so this makes perfect sense. He's writing up chapter 13, the final chapter, wherein apparently he expands on the quote about death and taxes in what a 19-year-old taking philosophy classes would probably call deep. And suddenly, 
is talking about a washed-up film actress. So in the span of less than two minutes, we've now gone from really bad, campy 80s sci-fi horror to really bad, campy 80s film noir horror. Film noir... Film noirer? Also, during the filming of this scene, in, in which this guy is typing the typewriter while narrating, he's not actually, like, talking. We're just getting the narration of what he's typing, I guess. And, and it occasionally cuts to a picture on his desk of a washed-up actress that he's going on and on about. Uh, like, did, did, did this movie just switch reels on me? Because it cuts from his picture of her to her own picture of her on her shelf, and then pans to the end of a very uninspired lovemaking session of this actress and some guy. I'm sure we'll figure out who it is. She tries to tell him multiple times that he was wonderful, and if her acting in movies is as bad as her trying to say he was good and bad, I can see why her career has gone downhill. And his acting is slightly worse. Which is fitting, because apparently he's also an actor who is convincing her not to come with him because he'll be busy and it's his big break. Even though we're supposed to be assuming he's a lot younger than her and is her boy toy sort of pet project in the industry, he looks probably around the same age as her, if not older. So, brilliant casting! Besides, her agent is supposed to be shipping her over a script, which I'm sure will have no impact on the story of this new movie at all. And her assistant is in the kitchen fixing her breakfast? Yep. Okay, to think, before she met him, he was an out-of-work actor. And here's the new script for her. The noises she makes opening the package of the new script. Honestly, they're far more believable than the one she was making in bed, which tells me two things. One, he was not wonderful. And two, that script is fucking hot. She was expecting a big new picture, but instead it's a part in a low-budget sci-fi horror movie. And surely she's too good for that. Anyway, and then I guess the agent just shows up? I don't know who he is because he doesn't introduce himself. Just notes that the assistant is new while openly staring at her chest. Now, I want to be clear. Even if a woman is wearing a low-cut anything that shows off cleavage, that doesn't mean staring is fine. But, like, she's not even wearing anything that would perhaps tempt someone to gawk. And yet, this man literally talks at her chest. Like, clearly, he is a classy agent. Oh yeah, as she walks inside to get him a drink, he stares right at her ass. I can't believe this agent, Harry, who would openly and fully stare at women's body part without even once acknowledging them as a person, would be the one to bring her such a bad script. I am shocked, frankly. She goes off on him because despite being in every scene, the movie's budget isn't even a million dollars. I mean, what kind of movie can you make for under a million dollars? Apparently this one. So she's really proven her point here, honestly. If I were her, I wouldn't be in that either. She demands more parts, and he says they aren't coming in because she's old. She insists her tits are fine and that she can act. And I can't speak to the former, but the latter is definitely not true. She wants this big part from a director who she says owes a favor, so Harry graciously says he'll work on it. And she will too. Don't worry, I'm sure this somehow will eventually get back to the alien Venus poop thing. Well, after some berating, Harry leaves. But good news, that director is on the phone. She instantly lies and says it's nothing to do with business before immediately bringing up past business. And oh boy, everyone, there's a big party tomorrow night. The guy who's throwing the party is one of the producers, which clearly means that they want her for the part that she was just talking about because that's clearly what it means when you tell someone it's not about business. It, it's that it's about business. Yep. Uh-huh. And she's supposed to be playing 25. That's the age of the role she wants. And, like, I'm not saying this woman looks old. But she does not look 25. But she says she's gonna look 25. Part of how she's gonna do that is sit in the sun the whole day because nothing says youthful like skin cancer. Oh, hey, Cricket's Lady shows up. It is the same movie. Neat. And her name is Evelyn. Not, not exactly like that, but, like, definitely closer to that villain from He-Man than further from it. So I'm just going to call her Evil Lynn, and this assistant just lets anyone in, apparently, and she's come to offer this actress, Lynn, that's not confusing at all, can't wait until we meet Evil Lynn's agent, Larry. Anyway, she comes to offer her the chance of a lifetime. For one small-time fee, she can leave the movie. Oh, wait, no, that's, uh, that, that's not what we're talking about. Talking about Dr. John Carradine and how his work was slowing down aging, and that he's managed to halt cellular decay entirely. Lynn rightly says that's impossible, and that it sounds like this is something out of a bad science fiction film. And the fact that she doesn't even wink at the camera after saying that is just really offensive, you know? It's nothing as fanciful as the Fountain of Youth. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's literally what... 
That's literally what you're saying. No more cellular decay means no telomerase loss, which is kind of like why we get old in the first place. The more your cells have to repair and recreate themselves, the shorter the telomerase things get. Or something close to that, I don't know, but you're literally talking about an actual fountain of youth. Or at the very least, the fountain of you don't get any older than you are right now. Ow. Sorry, my neck. There was some editing whiplash there, both video and, uh, both visual and audio. And again, right after saying it's not a fountain of youth, she says, This serum can promote... Noted cut in audio and change of camera away from her face as another person dubs the line in Youth and beauty indefinitely, which again literally is a fountain of youth, but it's free So I guess it's hard drugs for first hits free yeah. My favorite thing about this scene so far and that's saying a lot is that there is a moment during the dialogue where you can very clearly hear a car horn from somewhere nearby and I triple-checked this, because at first I thought maybe the banal music of just a few strings drawing out one note for as long as possible before either moving just barely to another note had thrown in a dramatic spike, albeit on the weird choice of a synthesizer. But I mean, come on, this is an 80s movie, so that wouldn't be too strange to hear. So I replayed it and thought, no, it sounds like a car horn. And then I did it a third time with the volume up, because that's how much I care about you all as an audience. I could just make the joke, but instead of that, I subject myself to the pain and suffering of this movie and then do it again multiple times. Sure, only one spot, but still, all to ensure that when I say it was a car horn, it's true, because on the third time, I could hear the echo of it a bit, and that sounds far too organic to be a synthesizer noise from the 80s. And that's why that was my favorite thing about that scene, because for this whole paragraph, I got to forget about the absolute train wreck of a movie I'm watching. As a way to help her make her case, Evelyn pulls out successful test results for Lynn. I forgot they did that for a brief wondrous moment. So Lynn can study them. And then I counted a full 12 seconds later asks, are you finished with those? And takes them back. I mean, hey, if letting an unqualified person look at a slew of successful test results for 12 seconds doesn't sell someone on injecting a weird chemical they've never heard of into themselves, then nothing will, right? I mean, I don't know about you folks, but hell, half that time is enough for me. Six seconds of studying test results means I can make an informed medical opinion. Also in that study time, she learns it's because she's famous, so you know, good PR for the serum, which is what I'm going to call the injection from now on. <laughs> I mean, overall, though, this is exactly kind of what she wants. She wants to play 25 again, which is literally impossible, and she's refusing it because then everyone would know she used something to not look natural, and that's just insane. I hate it when a movie pulls you out of the universe and you just can't suspend the disbelief. I mean, what kind of society would prioritize the looks of women in society in general and in movies and then berate them for doing what they can to maintain those looks after having those looks have been the only thing they're valued for? I mean, could you folks believe in anything that crazy? Oh, me neither. Oh. Crescendo in the music and Evelyn is gone! Gasp, like Batman. But she left a needle of the serum. And just so you all know, every time I write the serum into this script, I put it in italics as I'm writing it. I don't just highlight and click a button later. Oh, no, 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 no. So nothing so efficient. Instead, I hold down control and I to italicize whatever I type next. So whenever you hear me say the serum, it's because I just held down control and I. The serum. Which makes this whole bit really time inefficient, but hopefully amusing. She keeps the needle full of the serum. Instead of throwing it out, proceeds to go to the bathroom to stare in a mirror and be upset by how she looks, which surely won't lead to her using the serum. And cut to a bath because nothing screams a woman having audio flashbacks to 50% of the dialogue that has taken place so far for having to do with her looks, like forcing her to be nude on camera. Ah. She's out of the bath now, but we're still having flashback audio. Like, legit almost the whole conversation she just had with Evil Lynn and the guy she was with and the agent. And her assistant, like, I, I get that 50% was an amusing exaggeration, but it's at least 5-10% to 10 of the entire time she's been in this movie was just gone over again. We're not even halfway through the entire movie, and it's already looping itself. That is a bad sign. But thankfully the line, the chance of a lifetime, is repeated a few times, so we know we're about to end it. Time to call the guy and lie to him by saying she might be up for the role in that movie of that guy she gets to talk to and promised it wasn't about business. Yeah. He gets really upset because he's got to go back to sleep and get up early for his job, but not before rolling over to another woman in bed. J'accuse. 
Who would have thought that that guy wasn't on the up and up? And by cracking that joke, I spared you guys the jokes about the dialogue that he has with this other woman, which has some very disturbing mommy imagery. Anyways, back to the actress who totally won't take the serum because she just wouldn't do that. And she's dreaming of the awards. And the winner is being announced, and it's her for that movie that she really wants. Good thing she won't wake up immediately and think that the serum will be how she achieves this dream of hers. I mean, only a fool would turn to the serum. Why, anyone who would think about taking the serum would have to be insane. Oh no, the dream is a nightmare, and she's become a... A, a ghoul? I don't know. And she wakes up and runs to the bathroom where she... Oh, no. Oh, I can't believe this, audience. You're never gonna guess what happens. Much to my chagrin, I judged her character poorly because she quickly decides, almost immediately upon waking up, that in fact, she's going to take... The serum. Oh, no. Horror of horrors. But wait, what if Evelyn was right? What if those test results were actually successful? I mean, she did look at them for 12 whole seconds. Oh wait, she's uh, she's choking and puking and in really bad pain. Wow, maybe she's just um, throwing up the age. That that's that's science, right, everyone? Yeah, this will this will absolutely end up going well for her in the end, and she'll be a big movie star again, right? <laughs> of course she will. And cut to Evil Lynn's room where she has a lot of pictures of Lynn, like a really 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 creepy vision board, but it's her whole wall. This is. Not the kind of behavior I expect from someone who did a lot of successful experiments. I'm worried about my earlier optimism. Uh-oh, she just posted up a news clipping from the paper about... You, you know that, that guy that she tricked into being in the room with the Venus poop and, and it ended up being a zombie and ripped that other guy's arm off? Yeah, it's about that whole thing and how he killed some guy and then got murdered by that girl. I'm really worried about that optimism now. Double uh-oh, she just posted up another news clipping from the paper about how the assistant of Professor Zeitman, who was so skillfully portrayed by John Carradine, is wanted by the police in connection with his poisoning. He was poisoned? Oh no, I thought he just fortuitively died when she was there. Now it looks like she poisoned him. Oh guys, I really got a bad feeling about my earlier optimism. Comedy comes in threes, and by that I mean in... I mentioned the optimism three times. She didn't pull up a third newspaper clipping. She just smokes a cigarette and laughs as the camera pulls out. And we do hear crickets again, though, so my earlier suspicion about her superpowers may yet proven to be correct. And back to Lynn, who wakes up and checks herself in the mirror, which means she's no longer in horrible, agonizing pain. So, huzzah! She seems to be quite pleased with the changes. Enough that she decides she needs to start stripping, because if you were young again, the first thing you'd do is strip off and be like, Oh yeah, I'm hot. Or, I mean, I would. Not my fault if you don't all look as fucking hot as I do. See? Jokes. But, yes, there is a gratuitous nude shot of her chest, but thankfully it doesn't have to be a full-body, like, lingering one or lingering too long because it cuts to her in the shower, fully nude and complete with lingering close-ups. Well, that's what I get for thinking this movie would be even a tiny bit above lowbrow. Oh, hey, back to the narrator noir guy. Remember that was happening? Me either, but he's suddenly driving to her house. Right before this is when I stopped watching, knowing just how terrible this movie was. So, from now on, you're getting completely new reactions without any thought of what joke may happen. <laughs> Lucky you. For the last few months, I watched her slip further and further into depression as her career languished. Who the fuck are you, actually? He's going on and on about how her career is over while lamenting that he didn't ever say that he loved her. I thought you were some private eye with a typewriter or something. When the actual hell is even happening? He's still going on about her. Okay, he's apparently her biographer. At this point, this movie is giving Sunset Boulevard on a budget, with no sunset and no boulevard. And her assistant answers the door, and the narrator guy's name is Mr. Anderson, which I can only ever hear Hugo Weaving say. Waiting on the big reveal of her looking apparently completely different and young again, which she instantly talks about, even though she looks... like... pretty much... pretty much exactly the same. He wonders if it was a facelift, but of course, that's not it. She definitely won't tell him about the serum, though. And I'm sure looking young again wouldn't ever make anyone ask about it. Oh, damn it, I said she wouldn't talk about the serum. And yet here she is, almost immediately talking about the serum. I'm so bad at this. She also says it's been the regular injections, which Evil Lynn only gave her one injection. But okay, he rightly questions if it's safe, and she's like, well, they said it was. Which is, you know, all kinds of good enough for her. I mean, hey, come on, everyone. She looked over those tests for 12 seconds. He can't remember where he's heard about the doctor she mentioned, but we all know it's because Evil Lynn's newspaper clipping. It was about the 
Dun dun dun. Murder. Okay, and it's the same day she took the injection, so she's just fully on board and saying multiple injections after taking one shot, being in horrible pain, then waking up and looking younger, and she keeps saying she's up for the part, even though she hasn't read for it, hasn't talked to anyone about it, but hey, the director's taking her to a party, so I mean, what else could that mean for her? And I'm almost completely positive she's right, and there's no way this could all go differently. She doesn't want to talk to her biographer about her past to write her biography. Clearly, this woman is a business genius. Well, at least her biographer gives enough of a shit about her to check in on her the next day, but not enough to, you know, ask in-depth questions about a random injection that made her young again. I mean, who would question that? If you woke up tomorrow and your best friend or spouse suddenly looked like they did 20 years ago, you'd be like, oh, must be some new The Zero. And just continue on with your day, wouldn't you? I mean, same. Now she wants to talk to the people who gave her the injection, but as the sinister music alludes to, her assistant didn't let anyone in the other day. I love that the entire evening, and so far, this entire day, she did not once talk to her personal assistant about the strange woman who showed up with an injection for her, gave it to her, and that she took. Not something you'd bring up with your personal assistant who's supposed to screen everyone. Oh well, probably nothing to be concerned about. And cut to her drinking with her assistant, talking about throwing glasses into a fire because you have to be daring. And nothing screams daring like chucking glasses into a fire, other than, you know, injecting the serum into yourself from a strange woman who you trusted after looking at files for 12 whole seconds. Ah. Oh, and here comes that director fellow, the one who 100% absolutely, without question, will offer her that big part in the movie. Her assistant isn't going to the party because she has to autograph those fan pictures, and then she's going to swim and turn in early and lend them in. Oh, I wish I could. I mean, you can. There's there's literally nothing stopping you. You don't have to go to the party and do all this shit. You literally told your agent a million scenes ago. Wait, actually, it's been less than ten minutes. Oh, God, wow. Time crawls along slower than a sloth on a heroic dose of ketamine when you're watching the bad movie like this. Anyway, you just told your agent you don't care about the money. It isn't about the money. So you could just stay in and swim and go to bed. You don't have to go to this party and hope that the zero gets you the part. And Mark shows up to pick her up, and one of the first things he says to her is, You're looking young, because this guy graduated from the school of Harvey Weinstein, apparently. You're looking young. I've literally never said those words in that order until I had a second ago in my entire life. Because I put effort into not being the biggest fucking creep in the world. But this guy, thankfully for us, dear audience, has no such moral compass. Just in case you thought he wasn't scum, he then asks her if she's been bathing in the blood of virgins. Which clearly means she hasn't gotten that part that she wanted because he wants her for that new Elizabeth Bathory biopic. Lady Dracula 3 sucks to be you. And off to the glitzy, glamoury Hollywood party full of wait no, we cut back to the assistant signing her boss's autograph. And don't you love when people say what they're writing out loud in a mocking tone? It's so realistic and relatable. Best wishes from the Roman Empire. Because that's exactly what Lynn would say. Riveting cinema. Riveting. And I don't mean that in the engrossing manner, I mean it literally just joins two parts together through adjacent surfaces. That scene was riveting to the previous one because they were fixed to each other through adjacent surfaces on film. Riveting. Anyways, and now we go to the glitzy, glamoury Hollywood driveway where Lynn and Mark get into the car of a big-time famous movie director. I don't know cars, but this one clearly is the biggest, bestest car ever that they could manage on this budget. And we know the roads are real because, once again, the best part of the scene is the random car horns going off in the background. And now we go to the glitzy, glamoury... Oh, come on! We now go to Evil Lynn's lair of a bunch of pictures of Lynn, like... The fact that all of these were cut out from a magazine and whatnot still have their eyes say that I gave this villainous woman way too much credit. Never mind, I take that back. She is insane and evil. She's brushing the hair of a very lifelike model of Lynn's face while saying things like, Do you know how beautiful you are? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know what I've given to you? I've given you immortality. And then she laughs and pretends the head is talking back to her before taking its wig off and lamenting that the head doesn't want to spend the rest of its life with her before putting the wig on herself and getting very upset that the talking head is only talking to her in her own head. Yeah. And now the police are banging on the door, and honestly, unexpected plot point here. I did not anticipate the cops showing up. Maybe they're going to arrest everyone for making such a terrible film. Like, just full-on arrest everybody, like the end of Holy Grail, except not funny, or good, or smart. It's fine, though. I'm sure she'll open the door and cooperate, and everything will be fine. Or she'll pull out a gun and then scream and point it in her mouth, and then a can of diced tomatoes will be thrown against the wall behind her. Oh, 
Oh, wait, that's those, those are not diced tomatoes. Yeah, sorry, it's tomato paste. My bad, everyone. And it was a total of two cops who were threatening to break the door down. To deal with a person who poisoned an old man, was involved with microbes from Venus, and they were like, let's send Dave and Buddy. That's enough. Ah, oh, well, at least now we can finally get back to that big, fancy, glamoury, glitzy Hollywood party and we're at Lynn's pool with the assistant stepping outside to swim. I don't know why I get my hopes up. And assistant obviously needs to be in a mostly see-through swimsuit because this movie cannot grab your attention through any other means except tits. So here's some tits. They certainly aren't grabbing any attention through murder because we started off strong with a man being murdered by space poop and then turning into a zombie and ripping a guy's arm off before being driven into a brick wall and then nothing. Not a single kill since then. And I'm not counting Eva Lynn because she did it to herself. That doesn't count unless the Venus poop monster mind controlled her into doing it. Which honestly is a... Probably a bit highbrow for this movie, and if you think I'm being hard on it, the assistant wearing a see-through swimsuit just decided to strip completely. She was wearing a swimsuit. Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna skinny dip, I, I don't go to the completely isolated like, and alone body of water fully clothed as if I'm going to swim. Like, sure, maybe a towel, but come on. Well, tits and ass now, so at least 13-year-old guys will like this movie. Just kidding, even they'd think it suck. Not the tits and ass, the movie. We're spending way too long on her body before she swims. Like, she stands in the pool and then turns around one full time, almost looking right at the camera, as if to say, if this check doesn't clear, I'm gonna fucking murder you. And she's swimming, so of course we finally get to see the glitzy, glammy Hollywood driveway that Lynn and the director are back from the party, and oh, for the love of... I don't know why I try, ladies and gentlemen, everyone between and beyond. I was hoping for a giant murder fest at a big fancy party, and instead... Nothing. It's just shameful, really. But at least they talked about literally the only thing she's been talking about for days, and nope, she's just now bringing up the movie, and he shuts her down very harshly and very quickly with a, you're just too damn old. Like, I'm not disagreeing, but damn, dude. She's arguing back and saying how unfair and how bullshit it is and how if it weren't for her, he'd be directing sea horror movies, <laughs> like Evil Spawn. But in her defense, she's actually acting well here. I mean, maybe maybe it isn't acting. Maybe maybe it's just her being angry. That she... Anyways, it's good cinema, finally. And the music spoils it and then hard cut to assistance ass in the pool because if we're just bemoaning the way Hollywood is and how women are tossed out the second they get old, the next logical thing to focus on is a younger woman's ass. And the kind of girl the director said they needed for the part is exactly the kind of girl her assistant is. So, jealousy murder coming up? Oh hey, the things they just said in the car are now being played back in her head. This movie is the film equivalent of a person who loves to hear themselves talk. Like, just won't shut up, rehashing the same shit over and over and... Oh, actually, you know what? Let's not, uh... Let's not dwell on that too long. Here in the script for me, it just says whistle nonchalant... Oh shit, I'm supposed to do the stage directions, not read it. The funny part is, I actually wrote all what I just said down. Jokes! And more of the dialogue we just heard repeated is being repeated again while she watches her assistant swim naked and her eyes turn red and suddenly she has fake teeth in! No, really, we're finally getting a monster besides Venus poop. Hallelujah! And the assistant stands up in the pool again because if we don't hit at least four or five minutes of no gratuitous nudity, we lose government funding or something. Who's that? Who's there? We're going classic bad movie dialogue now. I wouldn't be surprised if we get an no, no, no coming up. Or more nudity and who's there. I don't know. I feel like the director here said something like, we're going to get a bunch of takes and use the best one. And instead, when they were editing, they realized two things. One, they didn't fill enough time. And two, they had a really bad movie on their hands and they were hoping by this point you'd just be too focused on a naked woman to care. <laughs> well, they did not count on me. Well, she's got a towel on, so she's probably going to die soon, signifying that once you're no longer beautiful and therefore useful to the entertainment industry, you are to be cast aside and essentially you're dead. Or at least I bet that's what the writer thought they were trying to do when they pinned this scene. And what I thought were tentacles, but thankfully turned out to be claws, are moving menacingly around her. And she's pretending they're literally not right in her field of vision. And cut to the monster POV, which is, like, literally just a few glass cup bottoms in front of the camera lens kind of trying to make it look like insect eyes and failing horribly, and then turn and scream into the monster face, which the mouth on kind of looks like if someone was trying to shove as many shrimp in their mouth as possible and then started choking halfway through. Towel drop and giant bug monster starts eating her, but don't worry, don't be alarmed. Thankfully, the blood runs down her back and into the crack of her ass, which is showed in excruciating detail and close-up for artistic reasons. 
and the assistant's body gets thrown into the pool, and I can hear the owner of the house who agreed to let them film there now. You said you weren't going to mess up the pool! That'll take hours to clean! And her body turns to float tits and vagina upwards, just like real corpses. That's why the dead man's float is shoving your breasts above water while making sure the fake blood isn't too thick to see bush. Oh wait, that's not the dead man's float. Oh well. And suddenly it's daytime! Is she gonna be not a monster and not remember any of this? Or is she gonna still be a monster? Nope, nope, she's not a monster anymore. But she is naked in bed, so there's that at least. Thank God we have some semblance of normalcy. A woman being exploited for her body. All is well again in the universe. Oh no, she can't find her assistant. Well, it's fine! I'm sure the whole thing was just a bad dream and nothing bad actually happened at all. You know what this movie really needed right here? And if you set a discussion between her agent and that director about how awful she was begging, then you are scary prescient, because that's exactly what we're getting. They're talking about how they're going to give her the part of the mother in the movie, but maybe she won't take it. Oh no, and the, the part went to one of the agent's other clients, and then cut to her finding out and screaming at the newspaper, which frankly did nothing wrong, and doesn't deserve that kind of hate. And in way too on the nose movie radio, detective narrator is working out while listening to the radio and is it's talking about how Evelyn murdered the doctor and how they were doing dangerous and illegal experiments on human beings, including the zombie tech guy, which is insane because no one could have predicted or known about this. I mean, after all, she did 12 whole seconds of looking at test results. He seems kind of upset at this, and rushes to see Lynn and lets himself into the backyard where she's drinking, and she thinks her assistant just didn't show up today, which means, we're right, the whole monster thing was clearly a dream, everything's gonna be fine, it's great. And he then recaps basically the whole movie for her. Like, legit. He's just spelling out the whole plot for anyone who was watching, and was so fucking high, they forgot they were watching a movie, complete with the line, This isn't some movie! without so much as even a wink at the audience. Shameful. If you're gonna be meta, be meta about being meta. Right, everybody? He's grabbing her by the shoulders and shaking her angrily, talking about the injections and how bad they are, and she's screaming back that they're the best thing that ever happened to her. Which is like, what? You had one of them, and then you didn't get the part. It's literally been one full day since you took it, and it's been the worst day of your life. When I write, I always try to reread the last few pages, so I know where I was going with the story, and... I don't think this screenwriter did that, or that they can read at all. And he's just yelling full volume, but somehow still monotone, which would be impressive if it wasn't just so damn funny. And they both keep shaking each other and screaming, and her eyes are literally turning red while she's screaming at him, and he just leaves. So knowing that his friend and the person he said he loves took an injection from some crazy woman who killed a guy, was doing illegal experiments on other people, and killed herself, and seeing her eyes turn red, the logical conclusion would then to be to, that's right, call her agent and tell him to stay away from her and not to contact the authorities at all. Good job. Oh no, he can't stay away from her because she's suddenly right there, dun dun dun. So rather than pick apart the crappy dialogue, I'm gonna mention here that the camera keeps shaking. Like, just, like, just shaking. Like, just, sh anyways. Oh god, she's getting violent, so maybe we get another murder. Oh no. And now she's pulled out another vial of the serum. While she's talking about how she's gonna make a comeback, and nothing says comeback like injecting the serum in front of your own agent. Oh, her eyes are red again, and oh hey, the agent actually acknowledges her eyes turn red, and now her teeth are all evil, and oh, oh, holy fucking shit, okay. I gave Ralph Miller III some shit earlier, and I take it back. The Venus poop monster was shit, but I'm tss. And the bug monster that killed the assistant was kind of funny, but this transition stage monster is actually really damn good. No notes. Blah blah blah, bad dialogue, blah blah blah, oh come on Lynn, eat his face off, come on. And she's turning into the full-on bug monster, and here we go, he's being eaten, and she's turned back to herself. But the best part here is the theremin music. A-grade, B-grade, sci-fi movie music. Bravo. And remember her boy toy earlier? The, the one who was cheating on her? Well, he's back at the house with the lady he cheated on her with, because that's totally a smart move and good thing to do. Bring the woman you're cheating on your partner with to your partner's house to cheat on them there, and, and because her car isn't in the driveway. Well done, sir. Hopefully this is another couple murders. Think we're going to get two more eaten people? Let's find out. He does say they won't have to worry about her coming home soon, because they'll hear her, and then they probably put on bad generic 80s music way too loud. While they mock her, and now I can see that them both in the light, the fact that they're making fun of her age is hilarious because 
He at least is probably a good 10 years older than her. And the woman that he's cheating on her with is probably about the same age as her. She shows up, catches them, but isn't doing anything yet. I bet, I bet we have to wait for more gratuitous nudity before we get a monster feast. There go the eyes, there goes the monster's mouth, and back to the agent's office where the narrator finds his mangled corpse. And back to the house where the woman is dancing and there's the strip tease. And I've seen more enthusiastic stripping from, um, you know, honestly, I don't have a good analogy here. It's just very unenthusiastic stripping, folks. Narrator is trying to call the police, and instead of just being like, there's been a murder, he's like, I need to talk to someone on the Zeitman case. I already gave you my name. I guess I'll just leave a message. Like, dude, just fucking say, there has been a murder. You're not a teenage girl in a horror movie being stalked by a killer at a sleepover, so they will believe you. Fun callback, right? Back to unenthusiastic striptease, and back to narrator talking to the cops, who still isn't saying a fucking thing about the murder. Back to the striptease, and uh-oh insect noises, and the music just suddenly stops, which they don't acknowledge at all. They're focused on the insect noise instead of the fact that the music she was just, you know, quote-unquote, dancing to just cut out. But I'm sure it'll be fine and nothing bad will happen, and there won't be a monster that bursts in and eats them both at all, and it'll be good. And, and oh, she's got the claw tentacles through him. He's, he's, he's probably dead. And Bug Monster approaches the other woman, and Narrator approaches the house and takes out a very small caliber revolver before entering. Like, this gun probably wouldn't even drop me. I don't think it's going to handle a giant bug monster spawned from a Venus poop monster. Granted, I'm no bug monster spawned from Venus poop monster expert, so, hmm. He finds the assistant's corpse that's, like, burnt to a crisp somehow and looks nothing like the agent's corpse did? I'm honestly not sure what bug monster's powers are at this point, and, you know... The cops finally show up with even smaller guns, and Bug Monster clocks Narrator in the back of the head and is approaching for the kill before being gunned down. And immediately, just kidding, he tries to give an impassioned speech to bring her back before she starts eating him, and the cops shoot her. One pulled a shotgun out from basically nowhere. Narrator is still alive despite being eaten a moment ago, but, you know, oh well. She's back to human now, and she's dead, and Narrator is like, want me to explain it before saying a bunch of shit that doesn't actually explain a fucking thing. And back to him writing his book about it all. And he's writing a bunch of bullshit before saying, it could happen again. And then screaming as a bug poop monster bursts out of his chest. So why did Evil Lynn have some weird obsession with Lynn? Why did John Carradine agree to be in this movie? What happened to the original Venus poop monster? What exactly did that glitzy, glamoury Hollywood party look like? We'll never know because that's it. That was Evil Spawn.